0: Welcome you this morning. It is past uh, 9.30, so we need to get started. Uh, Somebody, Several must have taken the hike to the lake this morning, which sounded like a very inviting hike. Are any of you here for the first time? You were not here yesterday. Okay, we see several. Um, We have... uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to pick on you. (laughs) No, we're okay. They're handing out the worksheet for today. Uh, David is. And thank you, Ed. For those of you that don't have a Slippery Slope brochure, hold up your hand. If
1: you weren't here yesterday and don't have one, raise your hand, and he'll see that you get one.
0: Do you have an extra one to give away you? Yes. Sure, sure yes. we do. Okay, this morning we want to um, welcome you that have come for the first time to this session. We're dealing with uh, reconciliation, a peacemaking, how to resolve conflicts at home, at the workplace, in the church. Um, we're, we're not saying we have all the answers, but the Bible does have all the principles that are needful. Uh, how many of you are here to Tahoe Camp Meeting for the first time today? Oh. Okay. If people raise their hands in Redwood Camp Meeting, we used to say, where have you been? In other words, if, you, if this is your first time, where have you been before this? So, well, we want to begin with prayer. I'm going to ask my wife if she'll have our opening prayer, and we'll get get started.
1: Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of this morning, and we thank you for your promise to send your Holy Spirit, and we ask for that Spirit's presence now. As we contemplate these serious issues, open our hearts and minds to the blessing you have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.
0: Uh, they're handing out the Slippery Slope, for those of you that don't have one, that brochure, and the worksheet for today. But we're going to begin with a, a video clip. Just it's entitled uh, Morning Routine. And uh, it's okay. the, you'll get the setting, I think, as you see where the family's getting ready to go. And so we're going to start this, and I trust that uh, we'll they get sound it. with it. That's not it,
1: that's the other one.
0: Did you get the gist of the story? I hope you don't have Sabbath mornings like that, where there's lots of trouble going on. And when they get to church, it's like uh, they flip a switch, and everything is rosy. And um, we're going to find that Jesus uses a word for being like that. And we'll come to that um, in just a few moments. I want to do just a really quick review uh, of what we did yesterday for those of you that are brand new. I remember we started with the devotional text of Ephesians 4 where Paul talked to them about being angry and not sinning. In other words, anger is not a bad emotion for some things, but most of our anger is a problem. And then he said, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving as Jesus forgives you. Uh, we discovered, or not discovered, but recognized that we are damaged goods. We have dysfunction on our relationships because of sin, and we tend to run to judgment. Uh, we gave out uh, the slippery slope, which is a, a breakdown of the various responses. If you notice the attack responses and the fight response, the uh, uh, flight you have the attack and the flight responses on either side of the slippery slope. And in the middle section, there are six responses that uh, can be appropriate to resolve a conflict, all of which, though, involve having the courage to confront. But how you conf- confront is very important. He's bringing you one now, I think. So we want you each to have a worksheet, and during the course, or in the review, you won't have anything to fill in. But when we begin the fresh material for today, uh, you'll want to fill those in. Uh, Jesus has told us that we are to love one another. another. In fact, Jesus uh, mentioned, as he in a couple of different settings, that the great two commandments are to love God with all of our hearts, and the, and it wasn't the Sabbath as important as the Sabbath is. Uh, it's not tithing. It's not going to prayer meeting as important as those things are. But the two commandments are to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Uh, He has given us a ministry of reconciliation. It's every bit of ministry as giving Bible studies and befriending people to invite them to your church. Being a peacemaker, being a minister of reconciliation Yes, the, there's some more of those. There's
1: some more of the slippery slopes.
0: There's too. slippery slopes here. We're going to open another packet if you need it. Uh, and so, is, this is a ministry. You are an ambassador, as if you know. We we are citizens of a heavenly country, aren't we? But we live in this world, and we are ambassadors for Christ, and we are to be peacemakers in that sense. We mentioned the fact that peace is not merely the absence of conflict, but peace is a positive proactive christian virtue that is it is accompanied by joy and contentment with the absence of stress and tension isn't that neat and my wife shared that the definition we're using for conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires and i think toward the end we talked about the four g's having to do with conflict resolution First of all, in conflict, we want to find a way to glorify God, and we talked about that yesterday. Today, we're talking about get the log out of your own eye, and tomorrow, we'll deal with go and show your brother his fault, and Friday, go and be reconciled. Uh, We're going to be going now to get the log out, and I want to begin it with this quote from Ann Landers. Uh, She said once, Do not accept your dog's admiration as conclusive proof that you are wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Think about that. uh, I I did one other thing in concluding. uh, We touched on it yesterday, but there's a powerful quotation. If you haven't written it down, it's volume four of the testimonies, uh, page 65. Uh, I read part of it yesterday. It said, No one has ever been reclaimed from a wrong position by censure and reproach. But, and, and so there's a difference between censure and reproach and confronting to be a peacemaker. We've got to discover the difference between going up to somebody and using a lot of pointing to say that you're at fault, you're a bad person, you did this to me, uh, and finding a way to affirm their value and worth and their, their viewpoint to be validated and to find peace then this statement and then we'll move to the new material for today. The religion of Christ does not require us to lose our identity of character, uh, but merely to adapt ourselves in some measure to the feelings and the ways of others. You know, sometimes we want other people to live up to our expectations, but here she's talking about we may need to adapt ourselves in some measure to the feelings and the ways of others. Does that mean we're wishy-washy? No, I don't think so. We, We can be all things to all people. Uh, The gospel when it's presented in, in New Guinea is clothed in a little different manner than when it is in New York City because of the culture and the times and the place. Then it says, Many people, and this is powerful, many people may be brought together in a unity of religious faith whose opinions, habits, and tastes in temporal matters are not in harmony. But if they have the love of Christ glowing in their bosoms, and are looking forward to the same heaven as their eternal home, they may have the sweetest and most intelligent communion together and a unity the most wonderful. Isn't that a powerful statement? Why diverse uh, ways of having opinions and habits and tastes in mater- temporal matters, but diversity, not uniformity? Okay, now we're, we're going to talk about getting the log out, and we're going to begin with, um, well, this text in Matthew. you see it on the screen, Matthew 7, 5? I'm sorry, we're going to start with a heavy word. But Jesus said it. In fact, he said it multiple times. If you go to Matthew 23, he used the word hypocrite, but that's not the only place. But here, even in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You hypocrite, first take the plank or the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, we, we think of a log as being huge or a plank. We used to use two-by-twelves as planks on scaffolding to, uh, to lay blocks on a wall or do construction. Uh, those are big things. Uh, then we can see clearly to take the moat or the little dust particle or the little gnat that's in the eye of our neighbor because we don't see clearly. We need to pray as we begin talking about getting the log out of our own eye that the Holy Spirit will move in us with the power of the gospel to enable us to take ownership for our part in any conflict that we have presently or in the past. I asked you yesterday, do any of you have any unresolved conflicts? If you had to write a name of somebody with whom you have not Reconciled on a potato and put them in a sack like we talked about yesterday. How big a sack of potatoes would you carry and how rotten would they get before you decided to somehow kindly and lovingly and humbly and prayerfully seek to b- claim some blame and talk to that person or persons with whom you need to speak. We don't want to become in denial. You know, if I just deny, I, you know... They used to talk about people, uh, Puritanic, they, they never did anything wrong. They, if parents never admit they're wrong, I think one of the greatest lessons parents can teach their children is if they, the children see the parents confessing to each other when they speak angrily or if they make a mistake, if they err. When somebody confesses, and we're going to talk more about that during this session, but does it lower your estimate of them or raise your estimate of them? if they're willing to confess its its it doesn't lower you somehow we get this idea that if I admit that I goofed and I um, made a mistake that it's my fault and so we don't want to be in denial because often when we're in denial we gotta shift the blame somewhere so we scapegoat and we cast the blame uh, on the fault of others and by so doing we try to justify ourselves I've done nothing wrong And so uh, we want to be able to take ownership for our part. I remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount also, Judge not that ye be not judged. And Paul even added, He said, Judge not because you're guilty of the same things of what you're accusing somebody else. God has not made us judge, He has made us lovers. Uh, We're not made to be the critics and the prosecuting attorney, we are meant to be lovers well there's another passage here that we want to look at it's in proverbs chapter four because we need a change of mind and how we relate to our ownership of conflict that may touch us in some way Uh, because sometimes we may think well the other person made the biggest part of the mistake I may have had five percent of it but you know if you take ownership for your five percent say you know and without reference Uh, You don't preface it by saying, well, you were really wrong, but I want to apologize to you for my 5%. That that doesn't work very well. So you need to say, you know, I misspoke, and I was angry, and I I ask you to forgive me for that. We found in our marriage that, and we do have disagreements from time to time, right? Uh, That... If if I say, you know, Darlis, I'm sorry, or if she says, Ralph, I'm sorry, usually the other one will say, oh, it wasn't all your fault. I, I did this. And we say, no, it's my fault. Then we argue about who gets the blame, and <laughs> it usually ends up in a restored relationship. M- making up is the most fun in a marriage relationship, isn't it? And so um, we need a new attitude. We need to have, like it says in Proverbs 4.13, Put a guard on your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Um, How does this work? We want to talk about the logs that need to be removed because the heart really is the brain, isn't it? Um, If it says, as a man thinks in his heart, does your heart, literal heart, think very much? Not much. It pumps blood. That's its job but the heart is in reference in Scripture to the seat of the emotions the the conscious realm of evaluating and making decisions and it's there Jesus said out of the heart all the evils come out of a heart and the heart is dreadfully wicked who can know it Jeremiah 17 talks about that and so we need a new heart we need to have a change of attitude in our heart the two kind of logs that we want to refer to here today they're rather simple Sinful words and sinful actions. And those things come out of our mind, don't they? Uh, Then, secondly, we want to take the log of a critical and negative attitude. Critical, negative, selfish attitude that leads uh, to conflict. There's a passage in Philippians, the fourth chapter, and you know this story well. Uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he speaks of two ladies there, Euodia and Syntyche, and they apparently are having quite a snick together. And uh, one of the first things that Paul says to them is, Rejoice. Uh, and again, I say rejoice, you know, if, if you've got a frown on your face and you're thinking about all the grievances you have against the other person. Uh, the truth is that if we are not rejoicing, particularly in the house of God, Probably we're not, we've kind of forgotten about him altogether. We've, we're letting this conflict to put a block or a barrier between us. And then Paul went on to say in verse 5 of Philippians 4, uh, he said, Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's a word that we used yesterday as well, being gentle. God wants us to be gentle and kind. And then he said, do not be anxious. And then he talked about prayer, praying for a self-forgetful spirit. Alan White uses that phrase several times, self-forgetful. Not even conscious of how it affects you. You're concerned about other people, esteeming them better than yourself. And then think on good things, Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are, and it gives a long list. Think on these things. And we need to do that about other people. Look for the positive things that we can say. And then Paul said, the God of peace be with you. Uh, Tell us some more about this thinking business, Darlis.
1: The way we think really does make a huge difference. You know, I have um, heard said that feelings just are that you really can't control them. The fact of the matter is we really do. Control our feelings very often by what we think about, what we think on. We can choose whether to, if we want to think and act differently than the way we're thinking and acting. If you're involved in a conflict, it's so easy to get so caught up in the negativity of that conflict that we can't, we lose perspective, we can't see what really is going on. Um, There's good news, Ellen White in this statement says. The training of the heart, the control of the thoughts, and cooperation with the Holy Spirit will give control to the words. This is true wisdom and will ensure quietness of mind, contentment, and peace. So there it's talking about the kind of thoughts you're choosing to have, what you're choosing to put your mind on, and that it will ensure us quietness of mind, contentment, and peace. Negative thinking actually exaggerates the negativity that's going on in whatever may be happening in your life. And we all have negative things that do happen in our life. But negative thinking exaggerates that. It exaggerates the negative, and it undervalues the positive. It leads to critical, judgmental, and bitter spirits. When we think negatively, we allow ourselves to... uh, think on those things with an undisciplined mind the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus we are not victims of our own minds we are not powerless we can control our thoughts um, i don't know if you've practiced that lately but i don't know sometimes when you get up in the morning things look wonderful And all you can think about is all of the good things that are going to happen that day. And then I don't know what makes a difference, but I know there are days that I wake up and my things look bleak. And I know that when I start the day with the Lord, and I pray that he'll put my mind on things that are more positive and upbeat, that he's faithful and he helps you put your mind on things that are positive and those things that you want to make your day better. There's a key insight here from Adventist home. Life is what we make it, and we shall find what we look for. If we look for sadness and trouble, if we're in a frame of mind to magnify little difficulties, we shall find plenty of them to engross our thoughts and conversation. But if we look on the bright side of things, we shall find enough to make us cheerful and happy. If we give smiles, they'll be returned to us. If we speak pleasant, cheerful words, they'll be spoken to us again. Have any of you, like me, experimented a little bit with that in line at a store? Everybody in line is all glum, and sometimes the checker at the grocery store, for instance, is just really just moving along, moving along, you know. And if you give them a big smile and you greet them in a very positive and cheerful manner, it's amazing how it changes everybody around you. Not every time, but enough of the time that you realize that you have an opportunity to witness the love of Jesus simply through your smile and your caring concern for the people that are around you wherever you might be. Did you ever think about the fact that it was actually negative thinking that prevented the Jewish leaders from accepting the divinity of Jesus after the resurrection of Lazarus? If you'll recall, they all got together and said, this is really bad news. Lazarus has been risen from the dead. What are we going to do about this? And if in John 11 it says they said if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. It's better that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So it was their own thinking, negative thinking about Christ that kept them from accepting his divinity. We saw that in King David and his wife, Michael. Remember when David came dancing in front of the ark into the city, into Jerusalem, and she looked out the window? And instead of looking and saying, this is my beloved husband, isn't this wonderful that here comes the ark back again? What a joyous occasion this is. I don't know whether she was embarrassed by the way he looked, by the way he was acting, or just by the fact that of her own heritage as Saul's daughter, but she looked at him and the scripture says that she de- despised him in her heart. And the Lord took note of that. And the scripture goes on and says she had no children till the day of her death. So God took note of her thinking, her critical negative thinking. And then we know that Paul, you know Paul and all of his, his encouragement to rejoice. I love his text in the New Testament where he's always telling us to rejoice and he had such positive thinking, in spite of you know he lists the things that he had to put up with, all the times he was flogged and imprisoned and shipwrecked and had all these problems, and yet he always spoke a, with a positive spirit about in Second Corinthians four four to seven and nine four four to seven and seven to nine that that doesn't make sense. I'll <laughs> anyway. talk to my secretary about
0: that. Yes. Yeah.
1: He wrote this.
0: (laughs) That's one second.
1: That's casting blame.
0: Positive dear.
1: Don't lose heart. The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, note, our light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When the little negative things happen in your life, can you put your mind in that mindset? It's a light affliction. It's working. It's way to glory for us.
0: Now we're going to come back a little bit to the um, the theme which is uh, in your anger do not sin. That's a little different translation than the title of our series. But uh, sometimes anger is the best response. We have slightly referred to that already. When people are being abused like a child or someone that is uh, weak or is powerless, if they're being abused by someone that is powerful and greedy or cruel uh, does get you upset. And and there is a statement that um, I want to share with you. It's from Desire of Ages, page 310. It says, it is true there is an, ind- an indignation that is justifiable, Ellen White said. Even uh, in the followers of Christ, when we see that God is dishonored and his service brought into disrepute, and when they see the innocent oppressed, A righteous indignation, that's the phrase we like to use for when we get angry, right? Oh, I was righteously indignant. Uh, A righteous indignation stirs the soul. Such anger born of sensitive morals, and that would include caring about the weak or the hurting or the suffering, is not sin. And so anger is not necessarily the issue. There may be somebody here that has a problem when they fly off the handle and blow smoke wherever and without much uh, restraint on the judgment part of the brain. Uh, And that can be an issue and we need to pray that the Holy Spirit will help us with that. But there are times when the response is appropriate. Moses when he came down off the mountain and he heard the people dancing and singing and uh, turns out they were worshiping the golden calf. Uh, He was upset. Uh, Steamed, is that another word we use? Um, and he threw the tables of stone, and they were broken. Uh, he, he, but it was not upset for himself. He was upset that these people for whom God had delivered out of bondage, that uh, they uh, were making such poor choices. And I bet he was a whole lot steamed at his brother Aaron because uh, he, he sort of uh, allowed them to push him around, and, and he condoned what they did. Uh, there's also the times when Jesus got angry. In Mark chapter 3, um, whether it was in the temple and he drove out the money changers, you know, there were a few of those incidences in which we would certainly call it righteous indignation. Uh, but remember when you say that, that it was the same Jesus who was being unjustly treated, was being nailed to the cross, who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus did not get angry at personal uh, mistreatment, but he got angry mainly because uh, his father was being dishonored or the weak were being oppressed in defense. And then, then's when we need to think about the best healthy response to deal with our anger rather than uh, blowing off steam. Uh, one of the statements that we've enjoyed uh, out of the scripture in Psalms 34, and I've used this passage often when. Visiting people in the hospital. There's some excellent passages in it. But this one from verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know, patience is not a thing we often have an abundance of. Uh, We want it and we want it now. Uh, And that doesn't just go for kids. Uh, But here he says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. And then it says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Remember in Ephesians 4, in our devotional text yesterday, he said, forsake anger, forsake wrath. Right, does anybody need She needs it right here. Okay, here we go. You bet. Oh, another one over here. Okay, there's some more over here. Here's Give some David more. some more so he can people come in. Yeah. There's another uh, very beautiful statement, um, and this is in Mind, Character, and Personality, a compilation of Ellen White's statements on volume, in Volume 2, page 517, where it says, Many look at things on their darkest side. kind of relates to the statement Darla's read a little bit earlier. They magnify their supposed grievance. Notice she, she says supposed grievance. They nurse their wrath. You know, some people, they just want to be mad. You know, even if you're trying to mediate a conflict in a church, uh, you, you you try to tactfully and to scriptures hold them accountable, but if they like being angry, uh, you can't force people to give up their anger, even though it's self-destructive. And so, let me finish the statement: uh, They nurse their wrath and are filled with revengeful, hateful feelings when, in truth, they had no real cause for those feelings. Resist those wrong feelings. You know, it relates to what, again, Darlis was saying earlier, that we're not victims of our thoughts and our feelings. We can choose. We may have an immediate uh, flash of an anger feeling, but spiritually, what do you do with that at that moment? You say, Lord, I submit that to you. I confess it to you. Uh, Help me to find a helpful and positive way to relate relate to this injustice or to this uh, hurtful thing. Sometimes we're hurt because we think what somebody said uh, is insulting to us. I had a conversation with a person here yesterday that related an experience where somebody up front said something that was very hurtful. Uh, and yet, by bypassing and you having contact, the, the problem and the conflict was resolved. Uh, and I believe that's what we need to do. And so, resist those wrong feelings and you will experience a great change in your association with your fellow men. Some people go through life from one fight, one conflict to another. Because they never learn how to deal with conflict. And that's really, if we are to be ambassadors for Christ and be known because we love one another, we got to get a handle on this, folks. We can't resist confrontation. But we first of all need to do what our lesson today is about. And that is to get the log or the beam out of our own eye. Make sure we claim responsibility for our part and not just magnify the fault of somebody else. We need to uh, recognize that we too are at fault because we're damaged goods. Being a preacher doesn't make you uh, immune to being damaged goods because of sin or being an elder or a deaconess or a Sabbath school superintendent uh, or a Christian for 50 years in your church. We all fight those things that Satan wants to bring into the church. Bitterness, anger, fights and quarrels. Uh, Clamor is the word we used yesterday. And so relating to anger in healthy ways is what we want to do. And you have quite a range of responses that would enable you to do good. And you'll find a number of those inside the uh, Slippery Slope uh, uh, pamphlet that we gave you. And so when you are angry in any relationship, don't just blow off steam. Confess, you know, I'm I'm feeling anger and I, I confess that to you and I maybe I need a moment to get a better perspective. Uh, we're gonna talk some more about that later, but if if you admit and then confess that you're angry and then you and you take responsibility for your anger and that response is a choice. You have other choices than putting your fist through the wall. I've counseled with families where the husband manipulates the family, intimidates the family with his anger. I've known women that manipulate through their emotions. Now, not all women do that, and I'm not trying to say every time a woman feels emotional that she's manipulating because uh, there's feel i 've praised the Lord for our women who have their feelings more close to their heart because we men need to get in touch with our feelings sometimes more than we do, and yet we 're not victimized by our desire to throw things, hit things, and shout whatever mean ornery thing we can do to hurt the one that we may be uh, near uh, there is uh, uh, in choosing the responses, notice it says when, and this is, uh, somebody wrote this, I think it was me. When we relate to our anger in healthy ways, we open ourselves and others to the godly principles of the gospel. We become stewards of the conflict and ministers of reconciliation. Uh, there are some bad examples of anger in the Bible. Remember when uh, Naaman, the Syrian general, came and, and uh, he came to Elisha and uh, Elisha told him to uh, go Elijah, rather, and go wash in the Jordan River. Was he a happy man about that? He thought back in the land of Syria, they had much, in his mind, prettier, beautiful rivers, uh, deeper and less muddy, maybe. And he stormed off in anger. And fortunately, his servants were wise enough to say, You know, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. But all he asked you to do is dip. And, and he finally relented his anger. And you know the rest of the story. He dipped. And it went all the way to seven. And when he came up out of the water, he was healed. He surrendered his anger. And then, of course, the story of Jonah. Uh, we've looked at that in our Sabbath school lesson recently. And God said, are, 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 are you right to be angry? And, and Jonah said, yes, I'm right to be angry. You know, he was, he was defending his anger about the, the worm that ate the little bush. Or, or because God mercifully saved 120,000 people and made him a false prophet. You know, he... He got angry about the wrong things. Um, And so, uh, when we vent our unrestrained anger, this is another something uh, that was written that... um, Anyway, I'm going to read it to you. When we vent our unrestrained anger, we throw gas on the fire as spoken of in James 3. We use our unmerciful facial expression, our harsh words, and our impulsive actions to hurt ourselves and others far better to release others from our judgment. My wife and I really like that phrase, releasing people from your judgment. God hasn't called you to be their judge and jury. Release them into God's hands. We're going to find that that's not excusing or justifying their action. But you release them from your judgment and release ourselves and others uh, from the bitterness and the regrets and the guilt. And so... I believe God can give us victory over our our hurtful anger and we can discover uh, ways to healthfully approach our anger that will contribute to a solution to the problem. And I would like you to think about this thought. If I have received grace from God, how many of you have received grace from God? When you get up from your knees and you confess your sin... And you realize he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you get to say, oh, what a God. If God has forgiven you, aren't we supposed to give grace to those around us to extend that love to others? Uh, Remember, we don't get what we deserve. Praise the Lord, we don't get what we deserve.
1: One of the things we need to consider, and I know very often this is a hard thing to know, but it is Is this really worth fighting over? Too often, we've talked about this uh, several times already, but too often in the heat of the moment, we lash out and react to things and say things that we really wish afterwards we hadn't said. And how often in your home between husband and wife do you realize that you've had a spat, a little spat over something really ridiculous, really stupid, you know, they always use the illustration of the which way you squeeze the toothpaste tube. And it really is... Or the toilet paper roll. Or which way the toilet paper roll goes, or whatever it is, you know. It's really kind of stupid. <laughs> Are you trying to insinuate? No. <laughs> I've got her trained, yeah. <laughs> is it really worth fighting over? And the point is that our response... And our choice really needs to be, can we overlook this? And there are times when we really need to overlook the offense. Now, there are some real guidelines to this. But a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to, the scripture says, overlook an offense. So there are times that even when somebody offends you personally that you need to, in your heart of hearts, know that you need to overlook this. You know, they talk about if you had to walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins, that you probably would understand better why they said or did something. And when the man cuts you off in traffic, recognize that maybe he got fired today, or his wife's in the hospital extremely ill, or something else, it's not about you. I think we are, become so self centered, we sometimes think that everything is about us. And it's not all about us. And we need to be able to overlook some of these small things that come up in our lives that cause conflict. Some helpful advice we should not follow our feelings, we should, excuse me, we should not allow our feelings to be easily wounded. We're to live not to guard our feelings or our reputations, but to save souls. As we become interested in the salvation of souls, we cease to mind the little differences that so often arise in our association with one another. That's That's from Ministry of Healing, really a profound statement. The scripture says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. So his example to us is that we should be gracious and merciful. When should we extend grace? And choose to overlook an offense. When is this the time we should do it? First, if the offense is not dishonoring God. Now we have to be careful when we consider whether or not we're going to overlook it. To remember that we once again find it much easier to be very self-concerned. And we can feel pretty self-righteous. We can decide it's righteous indignation as we were just talking about. But there are cases by overlooking it it would bring dishonor to God and that is a time when we should not overlook it but if it's not going to bring dishonor to God if it's just about us even then there that may be the time to overlook it if your relationship with that individual has not been permanently damaged and that's something to consider if something has been done or said either by you or by someone else that could permanently damage a relationship, then you don't want to overlook it. You don't want to run from it. You don't want to be in denial. You want to confront it and deal with it. But if it isn't going to damage, if the relationship has not been permanently damaged, if it's just a little affront that you can overlook, that's the better choice to make. And also, it's a good time to overlook it if others are not being hurt. If you see that what has happened, someone else is going to be hurt, you should probably deal with it. But if nobody else is going to be hurt, if it's something someone has just said that hurts your feelings, doesn't have any impact on anyone else, maybe this is the time to overlook it, to look at them and understand they've had a bad day or they never would have hurt me. You know what I've discovered? It's so much easier to overlook these instances when it's somebody you really love And you know they really love you. But when it's somebody you don't like very well, it may not be true. Yes? If the offense is not dishonoring God... I'm trying to think of an example. If somebody has has done something um, that is going to... The church is going to have a bad reputation as a result of what has happened. In other words... The the people of God, the service that you are rendering to God is going to be put at a disadvantage or look bad because of something that has been said or done. That that is a time that it would be dishonoring God, and then you should confront it and deal with it. I can't think of a specific instant. Ralph may be I'll able think
0: to think of one that might. Sometimes people uh, seem to feel they have a direct pipeline to God. Told them to no, do that's something. Right. And when they claim to be speaking for God, to do something that you know scripturally is very contrary to what God's Word would teach, then you need to not not in public, in front of all the church maybe, but to go to them privately and talk to them. But you might not just let that go. Because there might have been new believers there that week, and they might have been completely uh, disillusioned because of that kind of God complex that that person may have taken on.
1: There is a cost that's involved in processing any conflict. Uh, Counting the cost of addressing the issue compared to the cost of overlooking the issue will help us to know how best to respond. There are two good questions to ask. What is likely to happen to me and others if I do nothing about this issue? I think this is on the screen. And secondly, what positive good... Could happen if I work with the Holy Spirit to resolve this conflict. We have a responsibility in dealing with conflict. Again, it's not just about us, it's about bringing glory to God, being sure that we have taken responsibility for our part in any conflict and deciding whether or not we can overlook it.
0: Remember, overlooking is one of the responses in this, on the slippery slope of the pamphlet that we gave you. Uh, Perhaps, and love covers a multitude of faults, you know, that passage that is in Scripture. We want to talk a little bit about self-examination now. You remember when we have communion uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, let every man, and it implies women as well, examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. You know, we sometimes don't like to, and if we navel gaze all the time, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. But there is a place to examine your heart and as it mentions in, what is it, Proverbs 13, I believe that's the one. Well, I don't think I put that on here. But there's a passage in Proverbs 28, 13 that says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We're going to talk about the confessing in a few moments. But there are quite a number of passages. If if we were to take time and look at uh, Psalms 19, Psalms 139, uh, Psalms 51, uh, where we are admonished to search your heart, uh, to examine your heart, allow the Holy Spirit to search my heart and reveal if there's anything unclean in me. You remember that from, from David. And then there is a statement in Psalms 139. Uh, that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts to see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes we, uh, we are insecure. Uh, and sometimes we have been mistreated um, and we become insecure and therefore we can't uh, handle accepting much blame. And so we've cultivated the habit of casting blame, shielding blame onto other people. But we need to be willing to examine our hearts and to claim the responsibility for either feelings, actions, or words. Those are the logs we're talking about. Take the log out of your eye before you can help your neighbor. Uh, There are two key things that are uh, definitely inhibitors uh, to conflict resolution. Uh, And you'll notice that they are personal pride and selfishness. Uh, In fact, there's an interesting statement I want to read to you from Early Writings, page 119. It uh, talks about a five-minute plan uh, for a resolving conflict. Listen, I'm going to read a little longer than the portion we put on the screen. If pride and selfishness were laid aside, five minutes would remove most difficulties. And I think she's talking to workers. Uh, she's talking to believers. She's talking to members. She's talking to pastors and leaders. She says, Angels have been grieved and God displeased by the hours which have been spent in justifying self. I saw that God will not bow down and listen to long justifications. That's kind of scary, isn't it? If we sometimes, you, uh, when you're going to meet with somebody, you work up. Okay, I'm going to. Here's what I went on clue to what I tell them, and so you make a list in your mind of all the things you're going to say that justifies your position. And. Uh, You know, I have found when husbands and wives are having a difficulty in their marriage, and this may sound biased, because the husband may be mad about something and he's unhappy with her for whatever it is, but usually the wife will know what it would take to help heal the relationship. Because I think women tend to be more in tune with the emotional part of the relationship. but just to go on from this same statement, God, I saw that God will not bow down and listen to long justifications, and he will not want his servants to do so. So I guess it's saying us pastors should not sit and listen to long grievances. This doesn't mean we don't listen to our members and pray with them, but that we may have to say, let's, let's stop and look at the issue and let's pray about it and ask the Lord to give us insight. Uh, it, it's because of these long hours of just, self-justification it says, precious time is wasted that should be spent in showing transgressors the error of their ways and putting, pulling souls out of the fire. You know, she's talking about we have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we need to be about um, helping to save souls and win them. Now I want to fo- move a little bit to, to repentance. When we realize that we've done wrong, when we examined ourselves and, and we've asked the Lord uh, to search us and try us and reveal to us offensive ways that are in us, um, and knowing that self will do almost anything to stay alive. You know, selfishness is the key problem in the, of the sin issue. And self will do almost anything to stay alive. But when we are convicted, at that point, we need to uh, have a genuine repentance. Uh, there's a statement in 2 Corinthians 7.10 that says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And so, it's a godly sorrow. Repentance uh, is the Greek word metanao, which means a change of the mind. Um, there was an old um, evangelist that was preaching very strong language in one of his evangelistic sermons, and afterward, one of the elders said, "Pastor, you were, you rubbed the cats the wrong way tonight." And he said to him, "Well, the cats need to turn around, you know, and so uh, some of you will remember that statement, I think, but uh, we need to understand the meaning of repentance. Godly sorrow comes when we see our sin for what it is- a personal offense against our loving God. I want you to think about the prodigal when he came home he said father i've sinned uh, i 've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm willing to just be a servant. Uh, What about uh, Joseph when he was tempted by uh, the wife of Potiphar? He said, how can I do this thing and sin against God? Uh, All sin is really against God. Now, there's collateral damage. We hurt each other, and so when we confess, we need to confess to God. But we can't stop there. We need to confess or maybe make restitution to one another. If we've hurt each other's reputations or hurt each other's feelings... Uh, we need to t- have true repentance. Here's another uh, Steps to Christ statement, page 23. Repentance includes a change of heart and mind, a sorrow for sin, and a turning away from sin. Um, I hope you know the, what repentance feels like and then know the joy that results from confession and forgiveness because we need that cycle. And our children and our grandchildren need to see it in us. I mentioned this earlier, but to me, this is powerfully important. When mother and father practice godly forgiveness of each other in front of the children, it helps them to know that they can claim blame and they can forgive. It's important that we model that. And the older folks in the church need to model it for the children in the church. Now, by the way, when we truly feel repent- uh, uh, we feel repentance and we confess... There are some wonderful benefits from repentance. When you claim the forgiveness of God, you notice you have a clear conscience. You have a clean heart. uh, You have joy and freedom from guilt. You can get a good, peaceful night's sleep. And you are on the pathway to restoring healthy relationships. Those are pretty good benefits, aren't they? You know, I always like to say that God has the best retirement plan of any institution or organization Um, in heaven forever. That's going to be marvelous. Uh, But we also have release from guilt. It's very important that we have relief from guilt. Now, this is a quote from I don't know who it is. In my notes, I put a smiley there. It says, someone said, If we were half as passionate and upset about our own sins as we are about the sins of others, then we'd be on the way to real repentance. You know, sometimes we really have a clear list in our mind of what somebody else has done. But we may just give a passing glance at our sinfulness and our repentance. And it's important that we uh, take our... uh, Taking the beam out of your own eye, the plank out of your own eye, means I need to get right with God before I can have any effect of helping somebody else. Uh, now, sometimes you may have a sense that somebody has something against you. They've been offended by something you said or did, but you haven't the foggiest idea what it is. Have you ever had that happen? There's a lady that I uh, was angry at me, and she died shortly afterward, and I'm not going to know what it was. I, I went and confessed, but she just wouldn't even talk. And to this day, I don't know what it was. And I, uh, probably a misunderstanding of some kind. Uh, maybe I was insensitive in something that I said but she's dead does that mean that I can't be forgiven by God no not at all uh, when efforts are put forth but if you sense that somebody has been offended by you uh, first of all don't be afraid to go to them and say you know I feel like there's something between us and and but I'm I'm not clear on what it is and please share with me Uh, have I? Did I hurt your feelings? I mean, I'd be point blank. And if they're willing to say it, then say, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. Confess. Do it now. You know, don't let the sun go down on somebody else's wrath, including your own. And so you confront humbly. You ask for information. You repent. And then you confess. And uh, then uh, you can move along. Okay.
1: We're going to be addressing just briefly in the last 15 minutes of our time together this morning about uh, what is a good apology and a bad apology. And so we want to show you a little clip at this time. The first one we're going to show you is a bad apology. You'll understand that. And then we're going to sh- show you an apology that you may have seen on the news. because, And it's a very good apology, and it'll be self-explanatory.
0: You want to change from the D- h Want to go to the other one? That may have been it. (laughs) HDMI is not the answer for everything, maybe. Okay, Okay, are we ready? Yep. Okay, this is... um, Not sure why it's doing it the way it is, but so be it. I hope the sound is working.
1: I thought we were gonna use this,
0: one. this wasn't what we were going to use, was it? Mm-mm. We don't really need the sound again. I, I try to follow this. There's actually.
1: It's not coming to us. There
0: it is. There it is. It goes back I'm sorry about this.
2: (laughs) What's the deal?
0: That wasn't exactly what we had in mind, but we want, I want you to hear this one by Marion Jones. She was a track and field star.
2: As an athlete in the sport of track and field, you have been fiercely loyal and supportive towards me. And so it is with a great amount of shame that I stand for you and tell you that I have betrayed your trust. I want all of you to know that today, making false statements to federal agents. Making these false statements to federal agents was an incredibly stupid thing for me to do. Can you hear it? And I am responsible fully for my- I have no one to blame but myself for what I have done. To you, my fans, including my young supporters, the United States Track and Field Association, My closest friends, my attorneys, and the most classy family a person could ever hope for, I want you to know that I have been dishonest. And you have the right to be angry with me. I have let them down. I have let my country down, and I have let myself down. I recognize that by saying that I'm deeply sorry, it might not be enough and sufficient to address the pain and the hurt that I've caused you. Therefore, I want to ask for your forgiveness for my actions, and I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. I have asked Almighty God for my forgiveness. Having said this, and because of my actions, I am retiring from the sport of track and field, a sport which I deeply love.
1: As we go through the seven A's of confession, I think you'll see how she has portrayed in her confession each of these.
0: We're back. Okay. You always wonder about technology if it's going to work. I think we have a faulty joint either on the plug, Merle, or in my computer, one of the two. Okay, there were the seven A's of confession. The first one, uh, well, I've got to get up to where we are. You need to address everyone that's involved. In this case, in Marion Jones, she was uh, talking to the whole world, to the sports uh, public, to, her, to the kids that looked up to her parents herself. Uh, she was making that confession. sometimes it may be one-on-one. That's what Matthew 18 talks about, go directly to the one and possibly take it, we're going to, we'll talk more about that when you go maybe to a small group, when I've acted as a mediator with a group of four or five people that are enmeshed in a conflict we get that group together the mediator's job is to hold them each accountable to script, scriptural principles uh, to give them each a chance to speak without being interrupted and if it gets too emotional you call the timeout until we can talk reasonably and calmly and then you begin to look for a resolution uh, that's what a mediation would do. Okay, addressing everyone involved.
1: Okay. Avoid the use of if, but, and maybe. And isn't it easy to just slip those in when you're making an apology to someone? Because these words shift the blame to others. They minimize our responsibility, and I think that's why we use it more o- as often as we do. And they excuse our own guilt. We need to use simple words. And you'll notice in her confession she did. Well, you need to say, I was wrong. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Now, some bad examples. If I did anything to offend you, please forgive me. Another bad example, I should not have lost my temper, but I was tired. And maybe I was wrong when I said those things about you, but I only said them because you made me so angry instead we need to claim that blame I was wrong
0: just one point on that when the marriage conflict is such that the, the man is being abusive to his wife and he says you make me mad so it's your fault that I slugged you that's a strong violation of um, handling this in the correct way the third A of confession is to admit specifically your wrongs don't just stay in general I'm sorry for whatever I did you need to be aware of the specifically what you need to ask um, you, about sinful attitudes, sinful words, sinful actions um, a statement in Sepsichrist Christ says true confession is always of a specific character and acknowledges particular sins but all confession should be definite and to the point acknowledging the very sins of which you are guilty
1: Okay, acknowledge the hurt that your words and our actions have caused and you noticed in her confession how she was very specific in acknowledging the hurt she knew that she had brought to the various people and so we need to express our regret and our compassion and claim the blame for the harm that we've done
0: we also need to accept the consequences of our actions this is the fifth a uh the prodigal son understood that he shouldn't probably have the privilege since he'd already spent his inheritance foolishly uh he understood he probably should have a lesser role of course it was the father's grace and mercy that restored him who was lost into the family zacchaeus when he confessed and and the lord invited himself over for dinner i think it's the only time when he invited himself over for dinner then he said this day has salvation come to this house a tax collector hated Member of the Jewish society. But remember, I don't know how much Zacchaeus had left because he restored everything that he had taken illegally and he paid four, fourfold that which, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how much that leaves if you give half your goods to the poor and so on. And then, of course, the principle of restitution is mentioned in Numbers 5 5 to 7. So we need to accept the consequences of what our action has caused. That's a part of our confession.
1: Number six is alter or change your behavior. You know, uh, you remember in the New Testament that the apostles asked Jesus, well, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he said 70 times 7. But sometimes we're 70 times 7 about asking for forgiveness because we do the same things that hurt other people over and over again. And when you say I'm sorry so many times and yet you don't do anything about your behavior... It makes them feel like your confession to them is not sincere. And we really need to put forth efforts to alter our behavior. Um, We're told in Ephesians 4.22 that we should put off our former conduct and put on the new man. And so we need to really ask the Holy Spirit to work with us in helping us to alter our behavior.
0: The seventh A simply means to follow through on what we talked about in number three, but now we're talking about the actual words. So when you're talking to somebody, be very specific about saying, I am sorry that I said this, this, and this. Don't say but, if, or maybe. Um, Joseph's brothers, after the death of Jacob, remember Joseph said to his brothers uh, when he had fooled around with their wheat bags, he said, well, the Lord sent me down here for a reason, a reason to preserve your lives. But after, the brothers thought maybe Joseph was being merciful because Jacob was still alive. And so after Jacob died, they came and bowed down before uh, Joseph and confessed specifically some of the things that they had done. There is an eighth one that we might throw in, and I put it at the end of this. If the other person will not forgive... And there, you will have, if you confront and you try to make peace and they simply don't want to and they avoid you, they may not even want to make an appointment with you. But that doesn't mean you don't keep trying and gently and kindly and tactfully looking for another and another and another opportunity. And that's why the fourth A would be allow time for further sincere contact. That's very important. Uh, that uh, we, We're coming to the end of our time and so we want to go to the next section here, uh, how repentance, confession, and forgiveness affects our worship. Uh, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Lee, it's getting right with your brother is more important than giving your offering." It says, leave your offering there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In fact, I believe that a strained interpersonal relationship builds barriers that hinder your meaningful worship on Sabbath morning. If you allow unrepentant, unconfessed, unforgiven conflict, it can damage your... Worship experience. There's a statement in Christ Object Lessons, page 144. It says, "If we have in any way grieved or wounded others, it is our duty to confess our fault and seek reconciliation." This is our topic today. Was to take the the beam, the log out of our own eye, and if we sense there's a difference, we need to uh, take the initiative by God's grace through prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit to confess our fault and seek recognition, uh, reconciliation. This is an, an uh, essential preparation that we may come before God in faith to ask his blessing. So that's why, in a way, we have the foot washing before we have the, the bread and the grape juice because if oftentimes you can uh, invite uh, someone to participate with you and you can make right a difference that might have been or maybe it was just a perceived one. Maybe it wasn't in reality. But nevertheless, you can lift the cloud of that from that relationship. Uh, And a closing comment. uh, The Sabbath is a weekly reminder. Remember the Ten Commandments were given twice, in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. And the, the, the reason varies a little bit. The first one in Exodus talks about, For in six days God created the heavens and the earth and rested on the Sabbath day. But in Deuteronomy 5, he said, because God is the one that delivered you out of bondage. And so the Sabbath can be a reminder of our stewardship for taking care of the conflict that's in our life because we can release ourselves from the bondage of bitterness and guilt and bad feelings and we can relieve. I, I, I can only tell you that when people do this, There is a lifting of the Spirit. If somebody comes and uh, the two of you make right, you confess, claim responsibility, and you forgive, maybe have a hug, shake hands, uh, there is a lift to the burden that's on the heart. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder of what God has done for us through creation and redemption, from bondage to sin, bitterness, and broken relationships. It's by His power and by His grace and by His love that we are reconciled to God and to one another. One last little thought. No matter how much you nurse a grudge, it will not get any better. Do I need to read that again? Maybe it wasn't (laughs) that funny, okay. Uh, We wanna thank you for being here today. We will continue um, on our, our third day tomorrow. Uh, and it's a difficult one, going to talk to your brother about his offense and to do it gently. Uh, we hopefully will have another couple of clips. We'll try to get our sound straightened out here. But let's uh, close with prayer, and we'll let you be getting ready for the next meeting. Larry. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to gently woo us, to draw us from our self-defensive, selfish ways, and to help us to recognize that there are some things in our hearts that we're not proud of and that we have done wrong, said things, uh, maybe just the motives were there that uh, damaged us and perhaps have damaged others. Help us, Lord, to claim the responsibility, take ownership for our mistakes, and may we learn how to confess. hopefully following all of these seven principles of making confession meaningful. Oh, Lord, help us to confess confess vertically to you from which you've promised to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and help us to confess horizontally to each other that we might forgive one another even as Christ has forgiven us. We pray in his name, amen.